Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, we are beginning a new series. I'm very excited about it. You know, you've been hearing me talk about it for quite some time. And we're calling it, In the Beginning, Answers for Our Times. When we study the Bible, which is an awesome thing to do, by the way, and I mean really study it, not just read here and there and use it as as a devotional book, which of course is good as well, but to really, really study it, there are certain principles that we learn that really help us to unlock the truth, and that is to understand the the, the design of the scriptures, where we where we receive them, who wrote them, and for, and to what end. Um, why the Bible is laid out the way it is laid out in the Old Testament, the New Testament. The more we understand that, the better we can interpret Scripture. And one of the principles that you learn is what is called a principle of first mention. When God mentions something in the Scriptures for the first time, often what is laid within it is the seed for a greater foundation of understanding uh, as you go forward through scripture, which is why the book of Genesis, the, first, the principle of first mention, the beginnings, is, is so powerful. The, first, uh, the, the creation record and what we're going to find as we study the first four chapters is going to unlock some amazing truths for us. And we're going to get into a little bit of science here today, and this is going to step on some of your toes, because you know what? Like you, as all of us, if you grew up in the public school system, you were taught a certain way of thinking and how you looked at the universe and how you looked at the earth. And we were all taught these things. And, um, and in many cases, without any influence uh, with the Bible at all. And as a matter of fact, when I grew up back in the 60s and early 70s and was really beginning to uh, get my feet wet in science, I really loved science. I loved geology. And and I love to, to study those things, and the more I got into it, well, as I began to study the Bible, I began to see the divergence between, you know, what was taught as evolution and what was taught as creation. And as a, as a pastor, of course, I have not wanted to abandon either. And so as I have grown, uh, I've been able to see a lot of truth really just come out of... Matter of fact, the more that I have dug into the creation record, the more I see science continuing to support, support creation rather than vice versa. And I'm not the only one. As a matter of fact, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of scientists who are believers who would not go on record talking about their faith, but when in closed doors and, you know, with the lights turned down and their voice changed and, you know, they would share with you that, yes, they believe in the creation record and that all that they had learned with evolution and all the things that the science that they have been, be, begun to question and um, what they were taught. Because the more they studied the creation, the more they saw the intelligent design. The deeper you got into the molecules, the deeper that we've got into DNA, the deeper that we've got into those things, the more we've seen it has made God wiser <laughs> It's made him bigger, not smaller in any way. So as we study um, this first chapter today, we're going to get into some things that are going to really kind of introductory as we will study for the next three weeks, okay? So let's just go ahead and jump right in, and I'll do my best to uh, 
get it all in the time that we have. So let's just begin. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The most important verse in the Bible, right there. In the beginning, God created. When we understand that God is a creator, it unlocks the whole idea of faith in the first place. The rest of the Bible cannot be understood. It cannot impact us without this revelation, without this conviction that God is the creator. And it says that God, what did God create? And that's what the rest of this chapter is about, that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we've got to remember one thing here. This is being written by a man. His name is Moses. And it's being written down as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as God gives it to him. And we know that Moses had more than just devotions, man. He went up on a mountainside, and he met with God. He had times where he met with God, and he came down from the mountain, and his face was glowing, his hair. I mean, he didn't have to use any, any bleach to, to do what he did to his hair, man. He just came down because of the presence of God, and he was glowing. And God spoke to him and shared with him and told him to write these things down. So these are coming from the very, whether he understood it or not, he just wrote it down. Matter of fact, I'm quite certain he didn't understand most of what he was writing. So he says, God created the heavens and the earth, everything that he could see and the ground that he was standing on. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and it was empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The first two things that we see that are in existence are darkness and God himself. And what we will find is that God is going to create something good and it will be referred to as good over and over again. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. The first created thing. God created light. In, John, in 1 John, we find out that, we, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. We find that as God begins to hover, that he brings light to the universe. That because where God is, there is existence. There is the power to reveal. He says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now, these were two words he chose so that we would understand what the difference with the, between the two would be. And there was evening, and there was morning the very first day. Now, the first verse, as I said, was and is the most important. Our origins determine so much of how we live our lives. That's an critical conviction. Where we come from determines how we relate to one another, how we relate to the universe that we live in, how we understand morality, how we understand. It's amazing that when you attack God of creation, men begin to devolve in their response to one another. In other words, there's, there's, why, what's the basis for morality? What is the basis for me treating you good? What is, why should I treat this planet well? Why should I do anything? What is the purpose? There is no purpose. It's called nihilism, and that's where when you take away a God and you take away the, the creator, then, we, then we're not dumb, okay? 
we put two and two together, and whether, it, whether it's, it's, it's conscious or subconscious, we will then come to this end that says, why am I here? Why should I breathe in and out? What is the point? Matter of fact, it will come to a suicidal, whether it be this, this uh, kind of suicide of life, in other words, living for no purpose and letting things just happen as they happen, or literally taking your life because it means nothing. So our origins are so critical to how we as human beings function. What scientists now call intelligent design for fear of being labeled freaks for their belief. So what, in other words, nobody wants to be tagged with creation anymore because everybody knows that creation is strictly biblical. They know that it goes right to Bible when you say creation. They say, well, then there is a creator. So they say, well, let's just abandon that, like in so many things. A lot of these scientists are saying, the more that we study DNA, the more that we study the, the, the molecular breakdown, the, the further we go in with our telescopes, the more that we're able to see. Matter of fact, recently that, that I discovered, this has been, been within the last, uh, I believe, 20 years, that when they... they is far down into blood that they're able to see that blood never dies. That they can find ancient blood and they can dig into the atomic level that they're, I forgot what they're even called. I got to look it up. But there, there are living, little living entities in blood that never die. That you can find, and, and if you can find it, that's one of the ways you can determine whether it's blood or not, by the way. Because blood, as it sits for centuries, if it's in a right environment, they can actually find it and determine, well, that's, there was blood here based on that alone. And the implications to blood that never dies is amazing. We're supposed to be Im immortal beings. We were meant to be immortal beings. Then the fall comes. We'll get into that later. And then we see corruption comes then death. But the Bible tells us that it's not, I mean, death is not the end. It's only a physical death. But that we will live forever in one capacity or another. So we're still immortal. It's just what will our eternal condition be? That's just for thought. So our origins are very critical. And as we've, what, we, what we find is that these scientists are coming out of the closet, if you will, to coin a phrase, and sit down and say, look, I've been studying this, and I question everything I was taught. I, told, I was told this is all random. I was told it took billions of years and randomness to come to what we now see. But the more science stirs, the more we discover about what we've been given in this creation, the more complex, the more intelligent the more the idea of randomness, the zeros keep growing, folks, for probability, which is just astounding. So that they're looking at that and saying, there is no way that what we see in our telescopes, that what we observe in this universe could ever be done by nothing. It could never have happened, boom, just out of nowhere. Well, it actually did happen out of nowhere. Ex nihilo is what it says in the Hebrew. Out of nothing, but God spoke it out of nothing. 
let there be light. And there was light. We are told how, and he said, in the scripture says, he spoke. The power of God's declaration, the power of speech. When we understand that God is the originator of speech and that there is power in language, it abs- the book of James absolutely comes to life for us. The book of Proverbs comes to life for us, that there's never an idle word. Never an idle word. That when words are spoken, they have creative ability either to lift up and bring hope and peace and joy or to tear down and to destroy. The more we study language, the more it, 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 it just blows our minds. Little children, when they're told that they're worth nothing, it absolutely shapes their psyche. The words just, I love you, what they do and what they unlock inside the human soul and the physiology and the things that take place in, on the cellular level are incredible. Why? Because God spoke. And you'll see more here in, in, in just a moment. When we think of God being the creator on that first day, that when God said, let, let there be light, human pride is immediately countermanded. It's assaulted. As God makes it clear in Scripture, who made everything? And man can just observe and take his place. And yet, every single day, men try to take their place. They try to step into the role of saying, I understand it all. I get it. But it's funny. I just happen to be one of those people that love to track facts. I love, and whenever anybody says, well, scientifically, have, they have determined, I say, stop. Whenever you put the word scientist in front of it, it means, no, you got a theory. You know, and I don't believe our doctors are here today. We may have one here, but um, it's interesting. In medical school, I heard from one doctor tell me that he said, look, 50% of what I'm getting ready to tell you as truth is good. 50% will be disproven five, ten years from now. What does that tell you? That it's always changing. That what we think is right today is going to be like, oh, man, we blew that. We were wrong. And we all see this every single day because that's the way man lives. Man, we're making our way. If we really understood where we stood in the economy of God's great wisdom, we at best are stumbling around in the darkness, just stumbling around. But now God has provided light. He said, if you'll follow my words, I'll help you negotiate that. Will we understand it all? No. In many ways, God can only treat us as children because our brains, having been so corrupted, we can't fully understand. Although man is determined, man is determined to go to Mars. Man is determined to understand the universe. Man is determined to understand the molecular structure of the human body. Metaphysics, quantum physics, they want to understand it all. And that's not a sin, by the way. What we will find is that every level we go, however further deep we go, and it's funny how people who are into science will just say, well, look at there. Doesn't that disprove God? I say, look, no. Everything you discover only proves that my God was a whole lot bigger, a whole lot smarter, a whole lot more intelligent than we ever could ever imagine. 
Because in order to understand this Bible that you have, whether it be on your phone, your computer, or in physical form, or, a, you know, literal form, in order to understand it, you have to believe three basic things. That God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. How much power does God have? He has all power. When did he have it? He's always had it. You have to understand and believe with conviction the omniscience of God. What does God know? And when did he know it? God, is know, God knows all things, and he's always known it. That's who God is. That is God. And then finally, where is God? When is God? God is everywhere present. He's everywhere. And we find it right here is that his presence was hovering over the waters. Nothing escapes his view. Nothing's too difficult for him. Nothing is too impossible for him. We saw that in a microcosm when Jesus showed up. John is saying, why aren't you leading us to take on Rome? Why aren't you leading us in battle? He says, look, I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God, and this is what God does. God comes, and he creates. Darkness must flee. Light floods in. The human body is restored. Demons are cast out over and over again. He does what the creator would do when he sees his broken creation. When the reminder of Scripture is presented and a wise, joy-filled life is presented, one can fully trust the wisdom of God. God is saying, look, I created you. I know how you're made. I know what you need because I made you. Creation constantly reminds us that God knows what he is doing and there's no one wiser. Verse 6, as we move on. And God said, once again, and God spoke, let there be a vault or space between the waters that separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Moses is describing something here that he must have just thought, what on earth is this? I'll just write it down. When we look at this from a scientific point of view, if we were going to create a perfect environment, it would be an environment that was closed, there would be water vapor, so that there was a, a constant temperature. It would be like a terrarium, and that's exactly what the earth started out being, a perfect terrarium from which God could build what he wanted to build. And then God said, I'm going to separate it. The first instance of condensation, where water is gathered from the air, it's brought to the earth, and it separates. He describes atmosphere, and he wouldn't have known what to call it. A perfect creation zone, a womb for the earth, if you will. What is so interesting is that the language of the Bible uses elementary, but upon further examination in the light of what we now know, each statement has absolute scientific merit. It's not proof, but absolute scientific merit. In other words, you're going to look at it, and a scientist could say, wow, that's, yeah, I mean, that's very elemental. That's very basic to describe what they would have encountered. Absolutely. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place 
So the condensation's taking place. And let dry ground appear, and it was so. And God called the dry, dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Perhaps, again, we see that first uh, example of the land masses forming. Verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. Now, here is introduced something that will be a plague to the evolutionist. Various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. This is where the creation story gets even more specific. God produces seeds and plants and vegetation of all kinds out of nothing. In order to attach randomness to this with what is taught to us, in other words, a godless evolutionary process, we have to give the process of evolution more time. Time upon time. That's the solution. Just add more time. But when you think of the seeds and you think of the kinds, how many millions and billions of years are you going to need? A lot. As a matter of fact, there was a famous scientist. I'm not going to use his name because I, I don't, I mean, he's not on this earth anymore. He died of cancer. Matter of fact, when he was interviewed, he was dying of cancer. And so Ben Stein was his name. He was interviewing him, and he asked him, you know, you know Ben Stein, anyone, anyone? Anyway, uh, he, he interviewed this scientist, and he said, so he presented, he said, well, we believe that God created the earth, that God created all that, that, that our, our belief in origins is that God put it here. We have an answer, because everyone's always asking, where did it come from? How did this happen? And everybody just said, oh, I'm not going to believe in some mythical grandfather in the sky. How did this happen? So the scientist, of course, was representing that, and he said, your, your thoughts of of a God, benevolent God, who created all of this is ridiculous. And he goes, well, what's your answer? And he goes, and he pressed them. Because at first he said, well, no one knows. He goes, no, 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 no. you got to give me an answer because I know you believe something. And he goes, okay. I believe that aliens came to the earth. And they took the beginning, the primordial soup or the, the actual chemicals that it was going to take in order to seed this planet and put them on top of crystals, where when the sun shined upon them, they began to create a, you know, a process whereby these things would begin to develop, split, and then eons of time create all that you see now. And so Ben Stein looks at him, and he looks at the camera, and he says, so you believe in an alien, I believe in a god. What's the difference? You just happen to reject the creation story and come up with your own. And one makes a whole lot more sense because, to be honest with you, how in the heck does everything come from two little cells that divide? The more they study DNA, the more they study and break it down, they find there is literally absolutely no way that a kind can jump to another kind 
which is why God used those words in the first place. Now you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean the first dogs that God created are the same dogs? Absolutely not. God built in his creation the ability to definitely change and mutate within its kind. That is seen every single day. We see this. The ancient Egyptians did this. every, Every generation of man has done this. That is exactly why we have different colors of skin in this room. Because God, I mean, God didn't create a a black Eve and a white Adam, and that's where it all came from. We don't know how God did all that or what their color was when they first started. All we know is we got lots of wonderful colors now because God has built into his creation the ability to change within its environment. And that was, if you think about it, that was absolute wisdom on God's part. That was God's ability to look at what we see and what is around us, that God was so wise that he gave the flexibility within each of what he created to adjust. That only makes absolute sense. Now, we can get into a whole lot more, which I absolutely do not have time because I'm not a scientist, and I'm way over my pay grade to even talk about it. But what I am doing is pointing out Scripture. Millions billions of years. Well, my point is this. When you talk about where, how, and who, the Bible says that God did it. And it started with him. And it makes absolute sense. If you want to fit it into any kind of a scientific deal, you'll find that it absolutely the story and the way it's told and the way it's described to us absolutely makes absolute uh, scientific sense from beginning to end. Here's another example in the creation of food. You know, I was sitting at the table the other day and Ben and Andrew was sitting there and we were eating carrots and I cut a carrot and I I held it up. I did a cross section like we all do and I held it up to Andrew and I said, Andrew, what does this look like to you? And he looked at it and he goes, looks like an eye. I said, that's absolutely right. When Adam first ate the first carrot, it's interesting that a lot of the fruits and vegetables we have built within them is a symbol, a signal, a code, if you will, to tell us what they're good for and what they will do for us. We all know that carrots are good for your eyes. Isn't that interesting? And there's many other fruits and vegetables that do the exact thing. So Adam and Eve are walking out into this into the garden where there are fruits and vegetables for them to eat, as we're going to see here in a little bit. All built within. Now, how do you know what is good to eat and what is good is not good to eat? Well, pick up something that's poisonous and put it in your mouth. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying if you did, you would find it doesn't what? It doesn't taste good. If it's bitter, spit it out. If it's sweet and good to the taste, more than likely it's going to be good for you. Things that God put in his creation. All markers, all God's way. I mean, God could have put signs on things, eat this, not this. He could have done that. But God used other ways that fit into his creation. And it's amazing. And I ask only this question rhetorically, and that is, how much more did Adam and Eve know about creation that we have completely lost? How much more did they know about how using what God had made for them was lost because of the corruption of mankind? No one really knows, except that 
The more we study it, the more complex and awesome it becomes. I was talking with Will Mann. Will was in the first service. Will is involved in agriculture uh, and you know, working with farmers and helping them to produce the most vege- you know, vegetables and crops that they can. And what Will told me, and, and we've had this ongoing discussion because it's a lot of fun, is that the more what they're discovering is the, that they're finding ways to use less chemicals and ways that, you know, men are going in there to try to influence what God has created, the more that they work within the process that already exists, the greater the vegetables, vegetables and, the, and the fruit become. When they learn to work with the processes that God already put into place, that they become, that, that they don't die, they don't mutate, they don't, they don't harm us. But as a matter of fact... They, began, they, they can work with the, within the insect world. They can work within the diseases that can come and wipe out whole crops. It's amazing. We make more problems for ourselves when we step into the point of trying to be God rather than to listen to God. And boy, that's across the board. And we'll get into more of that as we get deeper into this study. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. You'll notice that Moses is very earth-centric. Why? Because God told him. And it's funny, you talk with anybody, an astronomer today, and just say, you know what? I wonder, is the earth the center of the universe? They would laugh at you. They'd say, what are you talking about? There's billions and billions and billions of galaxies that have billions and billions and billions of stars. I mean, you look up into the Milky Way, you're just blown away when when you know what you're looking at are not only just little stars, but clusters of stars, clusters upon clusters of stars. And it blows your mind. You just kind of... Because it's so intense when you think of the universe. And it used to be, up until recently, that everybody was questioning, just saying, you know, the earth is just a great big blue marble among, who knows, maybe there's thousands more earths out there. Well, they keep thinking they're finding them, but some of them are so far away we'd never ever know. Or if they even still exist. Because the reflection we're seeing took place a million years ago. So here we are looking at this, these stars. But if we go to the Bible, and the Bible says, why were they put into place? So that they might be light for the earth. Hmm. And it's interesting. There is a whole new school of thought of astronomers who are big bang people, and they're being, you know, or the different people that believe what they believe, and this, this new thing is coming in. It's like, wait a minute. Is it possible that the earth is the center of the universe? Is it possible? It's certainly not improbable. In other words, it can't be proved otherwise. But this one thing we know, that if you look at space and you traveled on a spaceship and you went to any other planet and you stood on that planet and you began to look up into the stars, you would not see the same star array. You would not see the same, uh, what they would call the, uh, the arrangement of stars as we see them. But it's interesting 
that the gospel is told in the stars to anyone standing on the earth. You stand on this earth and you look up into the night sky. You're going to see the constellations as they're arranged in our sky. And they tell us of a virgin who gives birth to a king. And they tell us that a dragon rises up and strikes that king. And it tells us that that king rises up and crushes the head of the serpent. And the stars tell us that there's going to be a king who reigns forever and ever. Well, that's amazing right there. And that story is only understood from one little dot in this universe. And that's amazing to me because now we see, whoa, there's purpose. Moses records the facts that the sun, the moon, and the stars are placed where they are to serve creation, and that is the earth. We know that the sun is at a perfect distance from the earth. Any further away, we'd freeze to death. Any closer, we'd be a a roasted dust bowl. It's amazing what we see when we just dig in just a little bit based on what we know. All pointing to a creator, God, who had a purpose. Who had a purpose. Verse 16, and God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, um, fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So God makes all the animals. And why does God make all the animals? You know, you think about that. Why didn't God just make man and... You know, initially, God didn't make man or, or, or the animals for man to eat. We're going to find that out later. You'll see. I'm asking that question only for you to think about it. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice that he didn't make the animals in his likeness and in his image. There's no animal that looks like God. There's no bull There's no serpent. That's the other guy. The animal is made by God. And I'll I'll just get it out there. You know why God did it? Because he can. And he loves to have fun. I believe that God made the animals for two reasons. One, for him to enjoy and for us to enjoy. Why do we watch nature channels you know, why do we sit there and look and, and be and amazed at why are the water plots? Why is there, why is there sea world? Why is there aviaries? Why are these, all these things exist except for us to go and go, wow. That's why God did it. Because he loves to watch us go, wow. And it's sad that at the end of the day, we look at say and say, wow, and we attribute it to, well, that was amazing how that just came out of nowhere. It's just incredible that those animals just existed or that they developed from two cells sitting on a crystal. Isn't that just amazing? 
But what is more amazing is when we think that God, who had an incredible, who is the most creative, when you think of creative, that started with the creator. What God does on this earth is astounding. You know, he could have made one color fits all. Could have made all the birds blue. I mean, he was just having a rough day and just said, you know, I'm tired of all this other stuff. Birds, you're just all blue. God didn't do that. Is that God doesn't do anything halfway. Rule. Let's stop. Then uh, Keep going. Then let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Hmm. That word rule shows up. It gives you some of our purpose. If God, if God made man in his likeness and in his image, then there's going to be so many things that God does that we're called to do. And you know what one of those is? Is to be able to rule. Not to have control, but to be able to see that what God made, that we have been put in charge of it. That we have been given the charge to take care of the animals of the earth, to make sure that they don't die, but that they thrive, and they continue to thrive. See, the first part of God's design when it came to man was a simple statement. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. His image is very important to our understanding. God is not alien to us. See, if God showed up, we would look at him and say, wow, I look like you, and you look like me. We wouldn't be shocked. As a matter of fact, it took place in time, didn't it? His name was Jesus. He came, he could, like I said, he could have came as a, in the form of a bull, could have came in some other, could have came in the form of a tree, could have been a fish that swam up and said, hey, how you doing? I'm God. But he didn't. He showed up as a human being because why? Because that was where, I'm not saying that God looks exactly like us. As a matter of fact, can you, if you can imagine a human being perfect in every way, that's the image that's, that's our template. We come from him. And, it, and it's very difficult to even talk much about that because none of us knows. We know what his son looks like. But this idea that we are made in the image of God is so absolutely critical to understanding the approachability of God. Also, that the human body was an image with which Jesus was already familiar that man's physical body is meant to be sacred, not to be worshipped, but be, does become the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, our bodies are supposed to be treated very carefully, very lovingly. So anything we do to our body, we know that that all comes. That's, where it, that's why when, when, when Paul says, look, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't have sex so that diseases come upon it and destroy it. He, matter of fact, he specifically said, don't become one with a prostitute because, because that's going to affect your spirit. It's going to affect who you are physically. He goes on to just say, don't, don't do things to your physical body. Don't become an alcoholic. Don't become a drug addict. Don't become you know, an angry, bitter person. Don't do things to your body that harm the body because you were given this body as a gift. And it looks like God. God, we came from him. And he says, your body is the temple. When you, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us. In the Old Testament, he came upon. In the New Testament, he comes in 
by the Holy Spirit, indwells us. So that's why we need to be more careful. And when anybody, and and see, it's just like man. We'll get into this in, in chapter three. But it's just like man to try to worship the created thing as opposed to the creator. And folks, it's all over in our culture now, man. People are worshiping the body. They're worshiping the body. They spend inordinate amounts of time worshiping the human body. And folks, I'm telling you, it's just a tent. But it is sacred, of course, but only for the purposes of giving glory to God. Now, that's not to say that we can't be get muscled up, that we can't take care of our body to where we just say, yeah, that's a better looking body than most. (laughs) Not at all. I mean, that's perfectly okay. It's when we say, man, that body, I'm going to spend all my time thinking about that body. I'm going to spend all my emotional energy, my time. I'm going to focus on that body, and God gets none of that focus in time. That's called idolatry and anything else that replaces it. See, his image, likeness, is that we might rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the wild animals. See, once again, we see that the animals were created for man, for God and for man, for us to be able to enjoy. This concept is tapping into the concept of rule, again, which is a part of God's image. I'm going to skip ahead here for sake of time. So God created mankind in his own image. Verse 27, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm just going to give you a little, a little uh, teaser And when we get into this chapter on the creation of man and woman. What we find here, the principle of first mention, God created a male and a female. And it's just like men to come back and to try to twist, to try to deform, to try to change that. See, confusion always results when we step away from truth, when we step away from purpose, when we step away from the creator that we don't know what to do with the creation. If anything, we will continue to distort it. We will continue to try to exchange within kind. When God says, No, that was never my purpose. My purpose, male and female. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said, he's talking to the male and the female. Catch this. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Whoa. Principle of first mention here. What is our purpose? To be fruitful and to multiply. Which is why so many nations on the earth right now are in death spirals. In other words, they're not having more children to be able to even keep up with the population levels. Do you want to know really why the immigration stuff is going like crazy right now? It's because those nations that have not replenished their peoples are beginning to panic because they're no longer going to have workers to be able to care for the people they even have because there are groups of people out there that are being fruitful and multiplying. And I won't get into more on that. Accept that. Christian, if you've bitten into this lie... You've bitten into this lie that 
you know, having children is just a bummer or that it's not, that it's just like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to impose anything. I'm just trying to say here that to be fruitful and multiply in number, to carry on your legacy of who you are and to pass that on generation to generation, that is when humankind has done its best. Abortion, absolutely the most demonic thing that has ever come to this planet because it is in direct violation of the heart of God. To destroy and take away our fruitfulness is absolutely telling God, I'm going to flip you the bird. I'm sorry to put it that way, but that's what we're talking about. Because God has said to Adam and Eve, look, come here. Come here, guys. This is my heart for you. Be fruitful. Multiply. Subdue the earth. Fill it with people. Now you say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been taught that there's an overpopulation thing. Can I divert your attention over to this map? Over there, and you can take some time to do it, but in the far, I believe, there's a chart on that. I think it's the, the far right-hand corner. I'm not sure exactly. I can't tell right now, but it's on that map that it shows you that if you take all the people of the earth and put them in one place, how much land would it would take up? Habitable land. Habitable land. In other words, land that you could live on, grow, grow vegetables and things like that, where you could live how much space would it actually take up? It would blow your mind. It would take up only a third of Texas. All the people of the earth, they could live in Texas. Do we have an overpopulation problem? Come on, folks. We're eating and drinking the cool. We're eating the cookies and the Kool-Aid. When we go back, see, we've been, so much of this stuff has been taught us that it's got into our thinking in a sick way so that now we can totally ignore what God has said. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. I don't see anything about now, be really careful that you only have the parts that are good. Subdue it. In other words, God has given us. You know, we've been given all this wonderful technological ability. What does they say? Uh, invention. Oh, no, uh, what is it? The mother of necessity. Invention is the mother of necessity. or the, No, it's necessity is the mother of invention. Is that right? Yes. Oh, man, that, you know where that came from? God. God has put that in us so that there's no problem that we can't solve by his wisdom. As long as we're doing things for him, we will never come up short an ability of using his creation in such a way as to produce everything we need. Now you're saying, man, Pastor David, you are way out there. Uh-huh. I'm called a pastor. I'm a believer in Scripture. And I know that I'm a very small voice in a very loud, loud world. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Go fishing and enjoy it. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit, uh, fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, I'll interrupt myself by saying this, that we know that ancient, ancient peoples did a much better job in cultivate, cultivating the plants that we know exist on the earth. We're not doing a very good job. But ancient civilizations did a fantastic job. Because they were closer to understanding 
what God had told them to do. The further we get away from that, the more we chemicalize and try to do what we do. We created a dust bowl right in the middle of our country as a result of ignoring ancient wisdom. I give you every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that all that he had made, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Scientists have confirmed that if one were to create a planet that was to be habitable by a man as we know him, it would need to be made in in the exact record and, and order that we have just read. Absolutely scientifically valid from beginning to end. Last thoughts, and then I'm going to let you go. Key points from Genesis 1. The belief that God is a creator is absolutely key to faith in everything else that follows. The Trinity, as we know it, is introduced for the very first time here. Let us make man in our own image. Who's the us? We find out later. God had a purpose in creating the earth. He had an end thought. He wasn't just saying, hmm, I'll just create this earth and let's just see what comes of it. What was his thought? Man. To place man upon it. The animals were not made in his image. Man was. Animals were God's idea for two reasons, his enjoyment and man's enjoyment, and later to be food. God as creator affects how we treat human life in general. When we see the magnificence of God's handiwork, we take good care of it. We are drawn to worship him. We don't see any aspect of what God creates, whether it be babies in the womb or whether it be a puppy on the street or a plant growing. We treat them all with respect because they come from the hand of God. God looked back at what he had made I'm sorry, number five, Satan wants to bring glory to himself by deflecting the glory to the created thing rather than the creator, which is why God later says, put no other gods before me because that absolutely attacks God as the creator. God looked back at what he had made and he said, it's good. He was happy, no mistakes. Nothing that comes from him is a mistake. Creation, my friends, proves that God is God from beginning to end. So I want to finish with this psalm. Oh, come, what is our response? Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. And his hands formed the dry ground. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Written by David as a response of looking up into the night, looking at the creation and saying, God, you are God. Let's stand up this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, when we read your word, and Lord, when we really let it speak to us, God, it's sobering. It shakes us to our core.
Lord, it reminds me of when the Israelites came down the mountain. They came from the villages. They came from far and wide, having been cut off from the presence of God for many, many years. And after decades of not celebrating the presence of God, they finally came together. And someone found a Bible, and they opened it. And they began to read it in front of the thousands of people, men, women, and children. And their hearts were struck. They began to weep. And they began to cheer. And then they fell on their faces before the living God. Because, Lord, your word is life. Lord, man has tried to create, Lord, something that replaces you. That the wisdom of man that the sole purpose of our existence is our own existence. When that is not true at all. Lord, we're made for your glory. And Lord, we lost your glory. We walked away from it. And yet you continue to offer to man, Lord, a solution. You tell us, I want to restore you to relationship. I want to restore the truth inside you that you might experience joy. And at the end of the day, Lord, that's what it's about. Not who can argue and prove this or prove that. Not sit down and argue DNA and in scientific results. It's about, are you happy? Are you at peace? Are you confident? Do you know what you're going to be and who you're going to be and who you're going to be with when you close your eyes for the last time. So Lord, in this room today, we want to come to you. Lord, the stark reality, Lord, of you being the creator is upon us. And Lord, we want to respond this morning and to say, yes, <laughs> you are the great God. We are the sheep of your pasture. Lead us. Lead us to the green pasture. Lead us to truth. Lead us to the things that will give us joy and peace that will bring, Lord, a greater sense of fruitfulness. Lord, let us embrace your plan for us. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, forgive us, God, of believing the lies. Lord, there can be, they can be so convincing, which is what faith is all about. So, Lord, help us, lead us. Let us be your light, salt and light. Lord, before we finish, if there's anyone in this room today, if you're not for certain that if you died tonight to go to heaven, would you raise your hand up? Because I want to pray for you. I want you to know for certain that if you did die, you would be with God. Because the Bible's written that you might know that you have eternal life. So raise your hand up if you'd like for me to pray for you. Give your life to Christ today. Begin coming into your destiny. Amen. Lord, for all of us here today, Lord, as we go, God, give us peace. Give us peace. Let us grow. Let us study. Let's dig in deep. And let's walk in the ways that you've created us to walk in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If I could have the prayer teams, please come. If you would like prayer this morning for healing, if you need healing in your body, if you need counsel, if you need some wisdom, just need somebody to stand with you, please come forward. Also, if you're first time, Go see Pastor Jamie. He's in our Connection Center. He'd like to greet you. He's got a gift for you today. So God bless. Have a great one.